Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Today's guest is a contributor to my charity patient safety anthology titled Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare, and she has had quite the journey that led her to her work. She is Janie Dalrymple. Janie has been a nurse for 16 years, and her experience has been bedside in cardiology and neurology, as well as home health care. She started a patient advocacy business in 2018, as personal circumstances forced her to leave the outpatient nursing position she had at the time. In 2019, she added to her business to include services as an elder care consultant and a certified end-of-life doula. Her goal is to help clients receive the excellent care they deserve while keeping their quality of life at the forefront of their care. And what important work that is. So I am so happy and proud to share her with you today. Welcome to the show, Janie. Thank you for having me. Oh, what a pleasure to have you. We have lots to talk about today. So let's just dig right in. Janie, you've had some traumatic personal circumstances that forced you to leave your outpatient nursing work. As a way to help us understand your work today, please share just a bit of your journey. Yes, and that's really kind of the why, the reason why I uh, started my business. So uh, in 2017, I was working in an outpatient facility uh, alongside my husband, actually. And uh, we worked in the same department but didn't, didn't have a lot of contact together. But in that year, um, he took his own life, which was very sudden and unexpected. I had never been touched personally by suicide, and uh, he never had any mental health issues prior to that, or, you know, at least none that me or the family or friends or anything had ever uh, noticed from him. He did leave a note behind, and um, the note mentioned the fact that he was basically having some some issues with coworkers, so that forced me being in that <clears throat> in that same environment to really not want to go back to that environment. I've dealt with people over the years with some some mental health issues and anxiety and panic attacks and some patients that have had PTSD. I was finding myself in those same shoes. I had to. Uh, readjust my life at that point and um, was forced into not only losing a spouse, but also losing the job that I had known for a very long time because of my personal preference. But I just decided, what am I going to do with myself? And my husband had always wanted to 
own his own business and be his own boss. And he never took that leap. And so when, when I was put into that position, I thought I'm going to try this for him. Um, as a nurse, you can always fall back on your nursing degree for a job if you need to. Um, but I thought I, I really need to, to do this for him just to give myself an opportunity to see if I can uh, start my own business. And so in, in that year, I thought uh, legal nursing might be a very good way for me to go. It piqued my interest. Um, and so I did the studying and I sat for the test and got certified and thought that's the avenue that I wanted to go down. Um, however, shortly after I got that certification, my mom um, became ill in early of 2018, she went into some respiratory failure from congestive heart failure, and she was in Indiana at the time. I am uh, Arizona-based. And so I flew home and quickly learned that she was not getting uh, the appropriate care that I thought that she needed and was in the hospital with her pretty much nonstop for the two weeks that she was in there. And so that encounter made me come home and decide that I need to be a patient advocate. Um, I did lots of advocacy for her in that two weeks of her hospitalization, and she ended up thriving from that. She, she recovered. She went to rehab for a couple weeks, and, and she did very well. And so that made me refocus, and I got my certification as uh, a patient advocate and started my business that way. Um, but about four or five months later, she ended up having a routine outpatient procedure that ended up not going well, and um, she ended up passing away in that hospitalization. After she passed away, uh, my father had nothing planned for for funeral, for end-of-life issues, for nothing like that. Um, my mother had written down things in a book of what she wanted, even getting so specific as, this is what I want to be buried in, these are the songs I want sung, these are the scriptures I want read, and we could not find that book. And so it was very frustrating, and, and my dad was distraught enough and grieving enough over it that he couldn't make any decisions. And, and so I was forced to do that. I decided at that time that people really need help with this. And if they can do it before their death, it takes that burden off of the family so much and just allows those family members opportunity to grieve and, and not have to worry about all of those other things that are involved with end-of-life issues and, and making decisions maybe that they aren't ready to handle when the emotions are high and things like that. So, so at that point, I became an elder care consultant and an end-of-life doula uh, to really kind of help people with this. So, so my business now really has come out of my life experiences and helping other people hopefully not go through what I had to go through, or if they do have to go through those things, at least helping them go through it in a way that um, it's much more manageable and that they can go through it and, and make decisions in tiny increments mm -hmm. so that um, they're not forced with this 
mm-hmm. big issue at end of life and, and that sort of thing where it becomes uh, a very emotional, emotion-driven decision that maybe isn't the best one that they wanted to make at the time. Um, I really want people to consider their quality of life and what they really want at their end of life before they're forced into making a decision that maybe they weren't ready to make because um, medical circumstances lead them into that. Oh, Janie, in a short period of time, you had so much happen to you that you had to, um, wow, you had to do something to survive. And so many people tell the same type of tale, have that same trajectory where they're just minding their own business and these things happen to family members that cause them to stop what they're doing and and uh, head toward patient advocacy just because, you know, they feel that it helped me, I need to help others. So thank you for, you know, making that turn and making that switch and doing the work that you're doing today. So much of it is so important and end of life. Everybody needs some kind of guidance there and you really don't get that at the point of service in, in hospitals or nursing homes or rehabs. Um, it's a very critical time for both the patient and the family, and it is something that is sorely lacking. So you, you kind of alluded why a person would need or a family would need a certified end-of-life doula. Do you think there would ever be a point where that would just be routine on the hospital in the hospital staff? I would love to see it that way. Honestly, another reason why I did it is because so often death is this taboo topic that no one wants to talk about. We're all going to go there. We can't avoid it, and it's really kind of scary to me to see the number of times that I've been with patients that have been nearing end of life, and their physician won't have that conversation with them. Uh, so I really think that it is needed, and, and it would be fabulous if, if they could be in hospitals. I, I don't know if, if we will get to that point or not, but it is going to happen to us all. And I, I would like to see our society not be so scared of death. And it is a natural part of anyone's life. And, and why shouldn't we plan for it like we do so many other things? Mm-hmm. We plan for the birth of our children. We plan vacations. We plan retirement. We plan so many things that are big events. Why wouldn't we want to plan how the end of our life looks as well? Absolutely. That final plan, we just let it hang there. Not only is it beneficial for the person who is passing away, but for the people they leave behind so that there's some kind of a closure to feel like we all did this together. I applaud what you do, and I hope that folks take heed. And and when that time comes to find somebody or seek somebody out like yourself, and if not, at least to have that kind of conversation together as a family. So thank you for that. I'm also the nurse educator with our ALS association here in Arizona. And so those patients all are faced with uh, an incurable disease. And I hear overwhelmingly those patients tell me all the time, I don't want to be a burden on my family. I'm very worried about them being my caregiver and, and having this burden, but yet they never think about the burden of their death and not making those plans ahead of time. And, and I've seen too many patients who don't communicate their wishes and then at the end of their life, their family members are left with that burden. You know, should we, 
Should we have done mechanical ventilation for this patient? Should we not have done it? What, what did dad want? He never told us, you know, did we do the right thing or not do the right thing? And there's a lot of that caregiver guilt, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so I, I really want people to understand that when they keep saying they don't want to be a burden on their family, even with that caregiving thing, this also is a burden as well if you refuse to help make those decisions ahead of time because those families are sometimes faced with making decisions after your death that they don't know what you did or didn't want. And if you would have just said it, then they don't have to worry about what mom or dad wanted or any of those things that's already made for them. And that is a burden taken off of them. And I think lots of people just don't realize that. Yep. Yep. I don't know why it's so difficult, but uh, at least conversations like this could start to bring it to the forefront. I want to go back for a moment, if it's okay with you, to talk about your, your husband. W- when you said he left a note that said it had something to do with coworkers, was it something um, that within the climate or the culture of the hospital, something that could have been viewed or changed or addressed? Uh, I believe so. He he was having some issues with a coworker. He had gone to his supervisor multiple times and said, we're clashing. His response from the supervisor continually was, my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do about it. So I think it was a management issue and not addressing the situation. And he even talked to me about that situation. It went on for months. And my advice to him was, well, if your boss won't do anything about it, just quit the job. Let's look for something else for you. But clearly now it was obviously a bigger issue than what any of us thought that it was. And, you know, maybe that was not an option that he saw that he could take. After knowing what he had gone through and just the fact of repeatedly asking, can something be done and having it not handled, I felt like I could not go back to that environment and face those people that potentially maybe could have done something about it Mm -hmm. and didn't. Mm -hmm. As a victim of suicide, I think that we all are left with the well, what if, Mm -hmm. or that question of why, which we will never know. And for me, I answered the why that way. Mm -hmm. He did this because this was not taken care of at work. So, so for me, going back there was, you know, not an option for me. I just chose for my own mental health and my own stability not to put myself back in that environment. But that's, I think we all, as survivors of suicide specifically have to search for a way that that you get around that mm-hmm. that unanswered question of why sure no i get that i get that i we're talking about healthcare and culture and and how to improve patient safety well we need to also and oh i've talked about this before how to improve the safety and the culture between healthcare providers and the system and coworkers and and each other it's not just provider patient it's provider provider and coworker so definitely something to take a look at i want to um, also talk about your work as a certified legal nurse consultant and wonder is there a theme or do you find that one or two issues keep arising that consistently cause patient harm i don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. And and honestly, I think that patients really aren't 
litigators because they feel like somebody's done them wrong and somebody's harmed them intentionally. Honestly, I think the people that that litigate are ones that that feel as though they haven't been told everything that they could have been told. For instance, if I was a bedside nurse and I gave the wrong med and I didn't tell that patient and then the patient found out, that patient would be much more angry at me than if I would have said, I'm so sorry, I gave you the wrong medication. I think patients are very, if we're forthcoming with them, they are much more able to handle a mistake or anything that has to do with healthcare. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it led me down that advocacy road more. When I saw it in the legal world, it's really just somebody being forthright with the patient and honest and not trying to sugarcoat things or not trying to tell them everything because they're afraid of what the patient might think or do. They just want honesty in the healthcare system. And I think that's what a lot of patients aren't getting. And even when it comes to end of life issues, I think some physicians are afraid to tell a patient what their prognosis is, or you know, you're not going to get any better. And they think that the patient is going to assume you caused this. That's why I'm not going to get any better. And that's not the case at all. It's just that patients want honest and open communication. And I think that they're not getting it. And that's why the advocacy business, I think, is getting much more popular with patients because they just want someone to actually hear their voice and to stand up and and honor their wishes. Mm Absolutely. You are spot on. I'm shaking my head yes through this entire answer. I lived through that as well. A nurse gave my mom um, epinephrine at a vancomycin drip, which was much more rapid than it should be, and that almost killed her. And she came up to me and apologized. She hugged me and was crying. And just because I, you know, I liked her, she had been my mom's nurse on and off for several weeks. And I understood she was human. She made a mistake. She didn't go in my mom's room and do that on purpose. And that was the end of that. You know, I didn't sue her because of that. But had, you're exactly right. Had no one said and I had found out, then you're then you're trying to make a point to say, okay, this, this shouldn't happen and, and I need to do something to make sure it doesn't happen again. So honesty is truly a key word when it comes to healthcare and patient-provider communication. Thank you for for bringing that up because I think it's extremely, extremely important. So we've talked about a lot of different things, but I want to make sure we hit everything that you wanted to talk about today. Is there anything we missed that you want to highlight? The only other thing that I kind of want to emphasize, because I am an elder care consultant, I think that people sometimes forget that you don't have to think about end-of-life issues when you're terminal or that you're at the end of your life. And that's one of the things with my elder care consulting business that I really try to relay to people is let's do this now. I'm 49 years old and I don't have any children. And now that I have lost my husband, I'm on my own. I have no ailments. I have no chronic illnesses, but I have all of my end of life paperwork. I have everything in order because anything could happen at any time. And I think that's you know, misconception that our whole society has is we all want to live a long life and 
all think that we're going to die when we're 100 years old. Life does not work that way. As we well know, we see terrible stories on the news every day. And I just want to emphasize to people, too, that having this paperwork has nothing to do with meaning that, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die in the next six months or, you know, those sorts of things. It is ensuring that you're taking that burden off of your family members and your loved ones when when it does happen, no matter when it is. I really try to emphasize to people, let's talk about it. Let's talk about different scenarios that you might be faced with in a life-limiting situation or an end-of-life situation, and how would you want your family to make those decisions if you were not able to do it for yourself? What are different scenarios that that you would want to see yourself in or not want to see yourself in. And let's put all that stuff in writing. And then also to to tell people that even if you have it in writing, it can be changed. I think there are so many people that just avoid it in general because they think once they have it on paper, that's the final decision. I can never go back on anything ever again. I think it's one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves and for our family members is just plan those things and talk to someone about, this is what I really want at my end of life, or if I'm in this situation, um, this is what I consider a quality of life. The optimal time to do it is when you are feeling great and when you are able to make all of those decisions and aren't in an emotional state and um, under the burden of medication or a terrible diagnosis that's maybe going to have you make decisions that you wouldn't ordinarily make for yourself. I would love to have healthy clients come see me <laughs> instead of the ones that are end of life and maybe making decisions that, that they you know wouldn't make otherwise. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. When you've got a clear mind and a clear head and you can bring family members. I've already told my kids you need to play Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. Um, he's a one-hit wonder, and so am I. So that's that's already on their list. So that's right. <laughs> we've had some of these conversations. Thank you so much. This is a very important topic, and I hope folks really pay attention to it and grab their loved ones. And next time they have Sunday dinner, start talking about these things. It's it's something that's eventually, as you say, going to happen to all of us. So why not? prepare in advance rather than later. So why don't you share your contact information so if folks have any questions or they want to contact you, how can they go about doing that? Sure. The easiest way is either they can email me, which is Janie, J-A-N-I-E, at yourpatientsadvocate.com, or they can go to my website, which is yourpatientsadvocate.com. Okay. It's your patients, and that's plural, yourpatientsadvocate.com. Janie Dalrymple and Associates, thank you so much. So do you have any final words before we head out? Everybody, do everything that you can to tell your family what you want at end of life. It's the best thing you can do for them. Yay, you're awesome. (laughs) Thank you for taking so much trauma and drama in your life and turning it around to do positive for people. That is that is such a testament to you and who you are and, and building this business for your husband. I think it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for sharing today. Yes, thank you so much. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.
My newest book just came out. It's called Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. And I've been talking about it for months on this program. And you've heard some of the guest interviews in the first two days. This book hit bestseller status in several categories. So the book is titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. It's a book for patients, providers, family members. I mean, if you are a human, you need to read this book because 31 people shared some real life and often harrowing healthcare encounters that ultimately speak to solutions to help keep you safe. So the book is now available on Amazon, but you can get it at my website. You can save $5 if you get it directly at my website. It's cheaper to get it there. It's at speakupandstayalive.com. So there you have it. Come back next week, same time, same place, but uh, never the same information. Until then, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. The information provided in today's broadcast is for informational purposes only and was not intended for use as diagnosis or treatment of a health problem and should not be considered as medical advice. If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at 440-725-5462. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive.